Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. Good morning. Our reading today from Scripture is from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 29, and on through chapter 12, verse 2. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as if it were dry land, but when the Egyptians attempted to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient, because she had received the spies in peace. And what more should I say, for time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, won strength out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead by resurrection. Others were tortured, refusing to accept release in order to obtain a better resurrection. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned to death. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, persecuted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. Yet all these, though they were commended for their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better so that they would not, apart from us, be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Over the last year and a half, I have been asked some version of these two questions, or asked some version of these two questions, about a thousand times, you too probably. The first is, what has COVID done to your church, in your case, your business? But the other is, what has been the hardest part of the pandemic for you? Well, truthfully, I didn't have uh, as many disruptions as a lot of other people. I have no, Uh, school-aged children at home, so I didn't have folks pulling on my pajamas while we were both supposed to be getting work done. My office, I'm pretty much the only one in there, so it was quarantined as anywhere else, so I went to the office every day. I went in blue jeans, but I went to the office every day. I didn't have the disruptions that a lot of people had. But the hard part is that I'm a pastor. 
You see, I want to be a part of people's lives and their stories. I'm the odd pastor who likes to go to the hospital. I want to sit on your sofa and drink coffee and hear how life is emerging for you and where the rough edges are. So emphatically, every time I have gotten that second question, what is the hardest part of this for you? I have said funerals. Funerals have been the hardest part of the pandemic for me by far. Because a community of faith celebrates and worships and learns and laughs and grieves together. Except for the last year and a half, we've had virtually no corporate grief. Instead, I meet 10 of you at a graveside. We're wearing masks and we can't hug each other. And it feels wrong and it feels unfinished. And I suppose many of you feel unfinished as well. Which is why today, All Saints Day, is our occasion to grieve together. This church family needs to hear the names, drop the tear of loss, say our prayer of thanks that these saints' lives intersected with ours. But I also hope that today inspires Our scripture for today intends to encourage us with a big hope that is authored inside of our imagination. Ironically, the social context of today's scripture from Hebrews is that it was addressed to Jewish Christians who were discouraged and demoralized. Anybody resonating yet? They needed some posted hope. They needed some kind of encouragement. They felt like outsiders in the mainstream of society. Within Judaism, they were feeling uh, pressure from the religious establishment. They were Christ followers, and this was peculiar. So they'd go to work, and the work colleagues would kind of look at them funny as they tried to explain how their lives now are centered around the Christ. And even family members would just not even know what to say. And then, then they, would, they would go with longtime friends and start in conversation, and they, their friends just couldn't understand how they'd give away their money and their earthly goods to a, to a cause that just seems hard to explain. Well, it was beginning to feel like a long season of despair for the Christian community. If you can't get in touch with it, just use your imagination. Try to conjure up what a long season of despair might feel like. Well, the author of Hebrews tried to encourage them to tell them they're not alone. (laughs) Discouragement isn't new. There's a long list of saints who went before who were also discouraged. They were also unsure of what the future looked like. But they decided to keep going. They decided to keep the faith, to keep trusting in the God who will not abandon us, the God who is always faithful. 
And then the author, then the author of Hebrews fired their imagination with an image of a sports arena hosting a race. You remember last summer's Olympics, that it looked so strange because there were runners in the Olympics and there was nobody in the stands, right? It looked strange. So I imagine that those athletes had to imagine their cheering section up there, right? Mom and dad and sister and coach with banners high and arms waving and screaming at the top of their lungs. Well, this is exactly what the writer of Hebrews is provoking us to envision. To see the stands full and cheering when we don't have any more energy to give at all. And we can't help but smile and kind of get a second wind when we see who up there is wearing our colors, who is cheering for us. And then when the author starts listing the people up in the stands, it's an odd list. They're people you would think he wouldn't mention. We're surprised to see who all is up in the, in the stands, the bleachers. There's, there's Rahab, the prostitute. Yeah, Hebrews mentions her by name. And Gideon. Gideon, you remember, was on the threshing floor when God called him. He was doing what was at the time when these distinctions mattered. He was doing women's work on the threshing floor. He's one of the heroes. Barak, the military commander during the time of Deborah. Samson, the warrior judge, you remember whose strength was in his hair. Jephthah, the six-year judge over Israel. David, the child with a slingshot who ended up becoming a wayward king and an Israelite hero. Samuel, he mentions, who was instrumental in establishing the monarchy and who anointed Israel's first king. All of them in the stands. The heroes who went before us were imperfect. In the list of 33 names I read, the saints of Second Ponce were imperfect too. But they stand in the line of faith, trusting, believing, inspiring. Hebrews doesn't brush past Rahab's occupation. Hebrews lists a few scoundrels in the group. But they tried to live by faith. They offered their personal stories into God's redemptive story. And those who went before us lived by faith and God was faithful to them too. And in that long reading, there were stories of faithfulness and God's faithfulness. Some of the faith stories of those who went before us, by faith, Hebrews said, the people passed through the Red Sea as though it were dry land. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient. Should I go on, he asked. Time would fail me, says Hebrews. I don't have time. 
to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, and so on. And Hebrews says, they did not receive what was promised. Not everything worked out for them. But by God's grace, and I'm quoting, God had provided something better. What the Christian faith promises for those who have gone before us is that their faith has become sight. Victory is realized. We've gathered today in part to be reminded of the size of our inheritance. We grieve the absence and celebrate the victory. The power of the resurrection has made glory real and present, promised and eternal. And our Christian loved ones are in the shining presence of God's love. This is at the center of what our faith affirms about what is on the other side of the veil. But the writer of Hebrews says, they're also in the stands. Don't you love this image? If we look out into the bleachers with with our holy imagination, we can see them up there cheering. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. I know, says the author of Hebrews, life is hard. It feels like a foot race. Sometimes you feel like you got no more energy to give, nothing left in the tank. Like you can't go one more step. You're tired. You're tired of demands and relationships and sometimes church and COVID and decline and diagnosis. You're tired of doing right, giving generously, serving others. You're tired of bearing witness and tending and going to doctors and taking other people to doctors. You're tired of teaching Sunday school and singing in the choir and serving on committees. And sometimes it all just feels like an exhausting race. You're going to love the Greek word that's in this paragraph. The the word for a rigorous sporting event is agon. Yes, the word that we get the word agony and agonize from. Life is a moral and ethical struggle. Virtue is hard. One more day, the race is agon. Can you keep running? How can you be encouraged? How can you take one more step? Especially when life has been marked by this loss, 
the death in your family, the death in our family. The original audience here was just so discouraged that the writer of Hebrews recognized they had nothing left in the tank to give. So the pastor author invokes their imagination. Look up into the stands, he says. They're cheering for you to run the race with perseverance. By the way, if you use your imaginations, you can see them too. The people who are up there cheering and calling out your name, the ones who are on your side who are pulling for you. Look, use your imagination and you can see Rahab with her sordid past and she's cheering for you to move past your history and finish strong. You can do this. And there's Gideon with his threshing hook waving in the air. Barak holding high his military sword. Samson's easy to spot, isn't he? He's a big guy, long hair. He's calling out your name. Jephthah with a judge's gavel. And on the back of his jersey, your name is printed. David holding up his slingshot and smiling down at you. And for some odd reason, he's wearing pearls. <laughs> Samuel, every time you run the lap, Samuel, the anointer, is throwing oil down on you to tell you you are one of God's blessed. And since then, new imperfect heroes have joined the bleachers and if you use your imagination, you can see them too. Martin Luther with his black robe and hammer and nail and theses. Lottie Moon in her Chinese dress, cheering you like mad. Martin Luther King Jr.'s there. He's got a newspaper rolled up, one he wrote on in a Birmingham jail, and he's waving it to cheer you on. They're all cheering. And when we remember what they endured, we find the energy to keep running the race before us. We need their inspiration when we feel discouraged. And as Second Ponce enters an unsure season, we need their encouragement too. Attendance is way down, engagement low. Poor pledges behind in the budget. It's hard to find energy to keep running. Feet are tired, ready to quit. But right when we're ready to quit, we look up into the stands and we see right there next to Samuel and Rahab, in, in the row right behind Lottie and Martin, are our saints looking down to cheer us on too. There's D. Williams waving a Gideon Bible. 
Nell Watt, she's holding up the pen that she used for writing notes of love to the church staff to encourage. Vernon Hendricks, stethoscope in hand. Nancy Barker's got a rowing paddle up over her head. She's calling out her characteristic words of encouragement. And Susan Gordy with a red varsity hat on telling you that she loves you. And Willard McBurney trying to tell a corny joke, but the noise is just too loud. They're all in the stands, all of them. All the imperfect men and women who live by faith. By faith they passed through the Red Sea. And by faith, they bought this corner at Peachtree and East Wesley. And by faith, they sat in meeting after meeting to plan mission trips that would change people's lives. And by faith, they sacrificed some temporary pleasure to pay down the debt. And by faith, they left some of their estate to the church so that their impact and the church's mission could go forward. By faith, they prepared Sunday school lessons and rocked our children in the nursery, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. The best way for us to honor the legacy of the saints, whose memories we grieve, is to hear their cheers from the grandstands and find the energy for one more lap. To give our very best efforts for the cause of Christ. The best way to honor our saints is to aspire to live to become one ourselves. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church.